Thank you, Jordan, for leading us such uh, in wonderful songs and thoughts. And I should be standing up here now and preaching about God and His His love and His attributes, and because uh, that's what we've been thinking about. But Solomon's not there yet; he's got a while to go. Normally, uh, I would just teach through Ecclesiastes every now and then, and you wouldn't feel so down all the time. But with Pastor being away, you've got it a couple of times over the last few weeks and you're here to hear it again. You might like to turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Just listen to this, uh, or the start of this poem by Thomas Gray. He wrote a poem, Ode on a Distant Prospect of Eton College. Long title. One line says, Where ignorance is bliss, tis folly to be wise. So he pictured the students on the playing field and in the classroom, and he, he saw them enjoying life and being innocent of what lay ahead. And he wrote, Alas, regardless of their doom, the little victims play. No sense have they of ills to come, nor care beyond today. His conclusion was logical. At that stage of life, he believed it was better to be ignorant than happy. There's plenty of time later to, to experience the sorrows and, that knowledge and wisdom may bring. He says, yet, ah, why should they know their fate, since sorrow never comes too late, and happiness too swiftly flies? Thought would destroy their paradise. No more, where ignorance is bliss, Tis folly to be wise. You know, Solomon had a similar thought and conclusion in chapter 1, verse 18. All those months ago that we started, just look at chapter 1, verse 18. He says, For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. You've got to remember, though, that Solomon has been talking about life under the sun, life without God. And so when he wrote chapter 1, verse 18, it was just at the beginning of his search, at the beginning of looking at life and how it is lived and what happens when God is not in the picture. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow, the more knowledge, the more grief. In other words, we can go to Thomas Gray's poem and say, where ignorance is bliss, tis folly to be wise. I wonder if you think that way this morning. It is better to be ignorant than to be wise this is life under the sun that Solomon has been talking about. But Solomon starts to take a second look at wisdom now as we reach chapter 7. As I said last time, this is now the turning point of Solomon's journal. We're heading to a, to a conclusion that you'll find in chapter 12, verse 13, that says, and Solomon wrote, wrote the conclusion when all has been heard, this is Solomon's conclusion, Fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. So that's where we're now heading. We've turned the corner. We've turned the corner of chapter 6 where Solomon led us on a dark journey, if you remember, where he said it's better to not have been born at all than to have riches and wealth and honour and not be able to use them. What's the point? It's all vanity. I might as well have not been born at all. Verse 7 of chapter 6, All of man's labour is just for his mouth, and yet the appetite is not satisfied. 
Remember we talked about the fact you just work to eat, to eat, so you can work, and then you get up the next morning, and so on and so on, and that's what Solomon was talking about. And now in chapter 7, he begins to start to give an answer to that question that I left you with in chapter 6, verse 12. For who knows what is good for a man during his lifetime? Who knows what is good for a man? And I mentioned that God does. In fact, we just read that. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's the conclusion that Solomon will reach after many hours of searching for life or looking at life under the sun without God. So how does Solomon begin to answer that question in verse 12? How does he, how does he ask us to lead to that conclusion where we are to fear God and keep his commandments? What's the first thing he does over the going as low as he can and saying, I don't want to be born? He comes up and the first thing he does is makes a, a series of better than statements. What he's going to teach us is how to exercise discernment in choosing the way that we should live, but this time now according to the wisdom of God. That's where we're at this morning as he comes in to chapter 7. And so as we consider these comparisons in chapter 7, it won't take you long to notice that some of the Proverbs that we're going to read are very similar to the ones that he's already written in the book of Proverbs. And like the book of Proverbs, as Solomon wrote, the Proverbs we read in Ecclesiastes cover a wide range of topics. They seem to be disjointed, but they're not. Many of them deal with related themes. And we're going to see that. We're going to deal with two themes this morning in chapter 7. He's going to give us wise words to live by. Now the fact remains you can get wise words from whether it be uh, through the proverb, the book of Proverbs or whether it be here. You can get wise words but it's what you do with them is the important thing. And so Solomon is going to start to give us some wise words of living. How to live. What should we do to live? How should we live? And this morning the first one he brings up is the, the practical proverb about the meaning of life and death. And we'll see that in chapters 1 to 4. And then this morning we're going to look at the difference between what it is a, a wise rebuke and foolish laughter in verses 5 to 6. Now when I started this chapter uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was hoping to be also to get right through to verse 12, but I realised as I started that that was never going to happen unless we were still sitting here at 1 o'clock this afternoon. So I'll have to lo look, look at that next time. But this morning we'll look at how Solomon begins his lesson. The lesson on heading towards chapter, 13, uh, chapter 12, verse 13, on fearing God and keeping his commandments. And that first lesson is the wisdom of understanding the great matters of life and death. And he begins in chapter 7, verse 1, with a double comparison. Just have a look and I'll, I'll read it for you. A good name is better than a good or precious ointment and the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. Now you'll come to understand that the word better is the key word in these chapters. In fact, Solomon uses it 11 times. In these next chapters, Solomon describes the better thing that we should be doing. 
the better thing that, come, that comes to the life of a person who follows God's wisdom. A good name is better than a good or precious ointment. The day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. Let's have a look at the first part of the proverb. It's similar to another proverb that he wrote. Proverbs 22 verse 1. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. So Solomon has already broached this when he wrote the Proverbs. But here in Ecclesiastes, Solomon doesn't compare it to a good name to great riches, but a good reputation to the rich aroma of a fine and precious and costly perfume. In the dusty communities of biblical times, scented oils and other fragrances were very valuable. You might remember that from John chapter 12 when Mary anointed the the feet of Jesus with costly oil. If you remember, Judas complained. He said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And Solomon says, having a good name, having a name that people admire, having a name that people esteem is more valuable than precious ointment, is more valuable than great riches. I think sometimes we don't quite understand that with every action that we make, with every comment that comes out of our mouths, we either tear down or build up our reputation or our name, if you like. And so Solomon is calling us to wear the perfume of good character. What kind of name are we making for ourselves as we sit here this morning? It's hard to answer that question on your own. But when people think of each one of us, what character traits do they have in mind as they talk about you or think about you? Are they the characteristics of Christ? Do you carry the name of Christ? Do you have his characteristics? Are we known for being more cheerful? Are we known for having a critical spirit along the way? Do we have a a reputation for speaking the absolute truth or do we have a reputation for coming up with stories that are a little bit hard to believe? Do we have a reputation for being generous with what we have or do we have a reputation for stinginess? Forrest Gump's mama used to say, stupid is as stupid does. You know that film? You should watch it. Solomon says, though, character is as character does. Sooner or later, we will be known by the character we keep. Solomon is saying, you make sure it's a good name because it's more precious than riches, it's more precious than oil. But even for us as Christians, we should have a good name not just for ourselves, but for the one we're named after, Jesus Christ. How many people do we know that name the name of Christ and drag his name through the mud, their reputation, their name is not good, yet they would call themselves Christ ones. One as we sit here this morning, if you call yourself a Christ one, what is people seeing? What is your characteristic? Because... Character is as character does. 
This comparison in the first part of verse 1 sets up the comparison that follows about birthdays and funerals. It fits together like this. As a name is better than fine perfume, so the day of death is better than the day of birth. Now that's not usually how we think about it, is it? That the day of death is better than the day of birth. We usually celebrate birthdays and we mourn death days. How then could the day of death be better than the day of birth? Now some scholars would take this as a dark and cynical comment about the emptiness of existence. It was, it's better in our day of death than it was when we were born. And in a way I can understand that because Solomon just a few verses ago was dark and cynical in the same way in chapter 6. But he's turned that corner and we have to look at it. And if you look at the context of this verse, we can take Solomon's proverb more optimistically because the first half is so very positive. You see, both precious and good, a precious perfume and good reputation are good things. There's nothing wrong with either of them. Similarly, both the first and the last day of life have something to offer. A name which is good is better than fine perfume, which is also good. But it's better. So the day of death, which is good, is better than the day of birth, which is also good. You see, I want you to realise that Solomon is not contrasting our birth and our death. And he's not suggesting that it's better to die than to be born, because you can't die unless you're born anyway. What Solomon is doing is contrasting two significant days in our human experience. Two significant days. The day that you receive your name and the day when that name shows up in the obituary column. And Solomon's wisdom is getting across to us that the life lived between those two events the time when you got your name and the time when your name is listed in the obituary, Solomon's wisdom is that that distance, whatever it may be, will determine whether your name leaves behind a lovely fragrance or a foul stench. His name really stinks. It's a terrible statement, but it gets the point across. So the day of death is better than the day of birth if a person dies with a good name, which is what that first section is all about. In that sense, the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. When your life is over, your reputation is finished, is settled. When the, the last day when you die, there is nothing you can add to it. Your story is finished. Is it a good name or is it not? This is Solomon's wisdom. Another ancient proverb says this, Every man has three names. One his father and mother gave him, one others call him, and one he acquires himself. An ancient proverb. For instance, when Judas was born, he was given the great name Judah. It means praise. His parents named him wonderfully. Praise God. It belonged to the royal tribe in Israel. But the time, by the time Judas died, he had turned that honourable name into something shameful which still lingers today. You betray someone and you're called a Judas. I wonder if when we die, 
people use our name for a good thing or a bad thing. Another of Solomon's books, the Song of Solomon, gives a great conclusion. It says in chapter 1, or to this section, it says in chapter 1, verse 3 of the Song of Solomon, Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. Will our name, will our reputation be like poured out perfume on the day of our death? Our inner character is far better than any outward fragrance and our funeral and not our birthday will reveal that name once and for all. This is true wisdom from God. This is true wisdom that Solomon is giving us. Is our name a pleasing fragrance? It's, more, it's better than riches. It's better than costly perfume. Will we celebrate the day of our birth or will we celebrate the day of our death? The day of our death is better if our name is a good name. A name is better than fine perfume, so the day of death is better than the day of birth. It's all positive. It's all wisdom in how we should be living our life. As we keep that first verse in mind, we go to verses 2 and 4 where Solomon will advise us to look at death. Look at it in the face and understand it. Verse 2, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting because that is the end of every man and the living takes it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter for when a face is sad a heart may be happy. The mind of the wise is in the house of mourning while the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. The first thing I want you to note here is that as Solomon does not say that we should pre- be preoccupied with death. That would be abnormal. There's nothing wrong with laughter. There's nothing wrong with feasting. I love feasting. I love laughter. They have their places in our lives. There's nothing wrong with them. But what Solomon is saying is there's a danger if we try to avoid the reality of death. And as a result not take life as seriously as we should do. The mind of the wise is in the house of mourning. It's thinking about the end, while the mind of fools is just pleasure all the time. Do we take life seriously? Yeah, Solomon, again, he's not presenting us with an either-or situation. He's not saying you either have to think about mourning or you have to think about pleasure. He's simply asking for a balance. What he is presenting to us is that death has more to teach us about life than feasting and partying and being in the house of pleasure. Death will teach you more about how to live than all those other things. Matthew Henry Henry summarised this. He said, It will do us more good to go to a funeral than to go to a festival. Why is it? Why is a visit to the house of mourning more beneficial than going to a party? I know which one would be better, more festive, you could probably get more food. Why do we, Solomon say it is better to visit a house of mourning? Why is it more beneficial? 
Because the or the answer is because that's where we give serious consideration to the solemn truth that we found in the middle of verse two. Because that is the end of every man. Life is going to end one day, and you have to think about it. We need to to at least have given it some thought. I wonder if you've given it any thought today, as you sit here, to any thought at all about the fact that life will end that you will die. And Solomon is saying as we think about that, it will make our life more profitable. Derek Kidner wrote this. He said, At a birth, the general mood is excited and expansive. It is no time for dwelling on life's brevity or on human limitations. We let our fancies and our hopes run high. At the house of mourning, on the other hand, The mood is thoughtful and the facts are plain. If we shrug those facts off, it is our fault. We shall have no better chance of facing them. You see, in one sense, going to a funeral is better than going to a feast because it teaches us how to be wise in the way we live, how to be wise in the way that we prepare to die, which the old saying is, is definite, as definite as taxes and there's only two definite things, taxes and death. But reality is, as you sit here this morning, the reality is that that goes against all of our culture. The fact that it's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting just doesn't sit right with our culture or even our own thoughts. We do as much as we can to deny the reality of mortality. One writer wrote this, he said, or she said actually, death is the obscene mystery, the ultimate affront, the thing that cannot be controlled. It can only be denied. And deny it we do. Increasingly it's rare for people to even mention the word death. The so-called departed pass away. They're not with us anymore. They go to a better place. We can say anything except what they actually did, which was die. So God's wisdom through Solomon is that it's better for us to deal directly with death so that we know that this is the way, and we know that this is the way of all flesh, and we take it to heart and we learn from it. Again, according to Martin Luther, it's good for us to invite death into our presence when it is still at a distance and not on the move. I like that. Invite death into our presence when it's still a distance and not on the move. Look, Moses wrote about this. And you know this psalm, Psalm 90 verse 12. Moses wrote, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Moses taught the same thing. Learn to number our days. Learn to know that our days are numbered. Learn to live that way and you will receive the heart of wisdom. And according to Solomon, Moses didn't write this, but according to Solomon, one pays to get that wise heart is go to a funeral. That's where you'll be able to recall our days and to know that our days are numbered. 
and to recommit ourselves to every day that every day will account for eternity or count for eternity. Every day that we live needs to count for eternity. Where are you going to spend eternity? That's the question you need to ask yourself and be truthful with. How will you live as you wait for eternity? I've mentioned many, many times that as born-again believers, our citizenship is in heaven. I'm an Australian citizen, but I've revoked that in a way. My citizenship is now in glory. It's waiting for me there. In fact, my inheritance is waiting for me there. I'm a pilgrim just passing through, and I want to know how to live this life according to God. God's wisdom. And as we live our lives, we are to make every day count for eternity. How are you spending your life waiting for eternity? Some people just crawl up in a ball and and just wait. That's not how God wants us to do it. By the grace of God and through through our faith in Jesus Christ, even the knowledge of death can be used to bring us life and joy. The mind of the wise is in the house of mourning while the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. Do you want to be wise or do you want to be a fool? Well, Solomon continues about foolishness. He talked about the house of pleasure and the house of mourning. He contrasts the wise and the foolish hearts which now continues in the next two verses. Here is another comparison. Verse 5, it is better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than, for one, than one, for one to listen to the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorn bushes under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool, and this too is futility. He's just talking about wise and fools again. And the point of these two verses is that wisdom's rebuke is better than fool's laughter. In other words, the best way to learn how to live well in this foolish world is to receive correction from people who are wiser than we are. Sometimes we call them mentors or disciples. Sometimes we call them pastors, elders. But this isn't what most people want. Most people do not want to hear rebuke. Most people don't want to hear reproof. They prefer to listen to what Solomon calls the song of fools. It's much easier to listen to the song of fools than to the wise rebuke of a, a man or a woman. Now, I don't know what song Solomon had in mind when he talked about the song of fools. He didn't equate what the song of fools was. So I went through just a few verses to pick out what this song might have contained or does contain. Maybe it contains part of Psalm 14.1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So that's maybe one line of this fool's song. There is no God. Proverbs 10.18. He who spreads slander is a fool. So part of the fool's song is listening to slander. Proverbs 10.23. Doing wickedness is like sport to a fool. So maybe part of the full song that you're listening to is the idea of doing wickedness and it's okay. Proverbs 12:15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Maybe a stanza of Solomon's song is that 
I'll just do what I want to do. I know what's right before. I know, I know what's best for me. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Proverbs 17.7, excellent speech is not fitting for a fool. And coming to the New Testament, the one that hits me every time I read it, Luke 12, verse 20. The man who said, I have so much, I need to put, I'm going to build bigger storehouses, I'm going to put all my stuff in there, and I'm going to do well for the rest of my life. And this is what hits me in Luke 12, 20. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? Always hits me between the eyes. Maybe that's a part of Solomon's song, the idea of gathering things up, putting them away, the song of fools. And I could go on and on and on. There's many, many passages about being foolish. But whatever that song is, whatever stanzas they, they hold, Solomon draws a vivid analogy to it. He compares the laughter of fools to the crackling of thorn bushes under a pot. Now, whenever we encounter metaphor like this, it's important, I think, that we look at it because Solomon put a metaphor in there to bring out a reason that it's silly to listen to the laughter of fools. In what way is foolish laughter like an open fire fueled by branches from a thorn bush? And I thought, well, maybe it's the same sound. You imagine a thorn bush on a fire, it'll be a lot of crackling from the fire. Maybe it's like the cackling of fools to hear this crackling of the fire. Some of the cackling of fools is there's no God. The way I do it is the right way. But then I thought, more, maybe more importantly, the comparison that a fire, of a fire made of thorn bushes is the fact that that fire is very short-lived. It flames up very quickly, but it won't keep burning for long unless God's involved, in which case the, the burning bush seems to last a bit longer. But you know what I mean. A burning bush, a thorn bush in a fire, you see, you see that when you start a fire with twigs. Can you build a barbecue or cook a barbecue on a fire of twigs? A thorn bush, it just flares up crackles along and then it dies down. And so I think the metaphor is the idea of a burning thorn bush giving a lot of flame but not much heat. From a foolish person you hear a lot of noise but there's no lasting good in what they say. You hear a lot of foolish laughter but there's no substance to it. It just goes and dies. For as a crackling for as the crackling of thorn bushes under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This too is futility. You know, some people simply laugh their way all the way to the grave. I want you to consider the, the, the well-known epitaph of an English poet called John Gay. He said, Life's a jest and all things show it. I thought so once and now I know it. Thus saith the fool. There's nothing funny about death. There's nothing funny about hell that comes after for anyone who dies without Christ. There's nothing funny about it. And that's why Solomon says it's much better for us to hear 
the rebuke of a wise man than to listen to those songs of the foolish. But I have to say, no rebuke is pleasant. And I'll mention that. No rebuke is pleasant. Most of us avoid rebuke. Most of us would go a long way to avoid reproof. We don't like it. But Solomon says it's better to listen to the rebuke or reproof of a wise man. Why is it better? Because it is necessary. Jesus, uh, God says that he rebukes us. He disciplines us. Rebuke, reproof is a necessary part of helping us to grow in our faith and becoming more like Jesus Christ every day. And we need that someone. We need that someone who is wise to, not only wise, but who cares enough to tell you to get serious about life, to get serious about death. You need someone who cares enough about you, who loves you enough to tell you that. What are they going to say to us? Well, it could be a myriad of things, all biblical, hopefully. They'll say all the things that Ecclesiastes has already said. They'll tell us that living for pleasure and working for selfish gain is just striving after the wind. They'll tell us that God has a time for everything, including a time to die and a time to be born. They'll tell us that two are better than one when we face the trials and toils of life. They'll tell us that money will never, ever satisfy your soul. They'll continue to tell us over and over again the wisdom of God. In other words, they're going to teach us not to live for today, but to live for eternity. Do you live for the day or do you live for eternity? Do you spend your hours in the in the uh, in pleasure or do you spend it in the house of mourning looking at death how do you live your life do you live it for eternity it's better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man how do we do that by going to the places where we can receive life giving correction you can't receive that anywhere else biblically except in the church except amongst your brothers and sisters, you will not get wise rebuke or or life-giving correction from your workmates, unless they're Christian, or from your boss, or from your sporting area, whatever it may be. You receive wise rebuke by reading the Bible. You receive wise rebuke by listening to Christ-centred, spirit-filled preaching. You receive wise rebuke when we spend more time with people who are more mature than we are spiritually. And when we hear serious things about our spiritual life, we're not to laugh it off. We're not to treat it as if we're being condescended to. We need to take it to heart. Always look at who is giving you the advice. Look at their life. And their li- if their life lives up to, to, to God's walk, then listen. If their life doesn't, then it's probably just criticism. But before I leave this point, I want to just share one observation, and that is there is a big difference between 
Someone being critical to you and someone rebuking you, reproofing you. I think we all know people who are constantly finding fault with others and criticising them. They think, I, th- I think they think that criticism somehow elevates them to a higher level than that person. And one thing I have noticed that in criticism there's no love and there's no care. On the other hand, a rebuke, a, repro- a reproof, it's always out of genuine love. It's always out of genuine care for you and for the well-being of whoever is receiving that reproof and rebuke. And as I said, for us as Christians, it has to be grounded in the clear understanding of the Word of God. It's always grounded in the desire to see the other person benefit from living the kind of life or be able to live the kind of life that's pleasing to God. 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine and we learn a lot of doctrine in our church but it's also profitable for reproof and for correction. And the reason? So that every man and woman of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped to do every good work. It comes from rebuke comes from reproof it comes from correction now sometimes it's hard to discern between criticism and rebuke as i said you normally look at the person's life who is giving it to you especially when you're the object of that criticism or that rebuke but we have to learn and i found that in most cases there's always something i can learn from what another person has said to me usually regardless of the motivation Even when someone has said something that is very clearly criticising me, I try and listen, I try and hold the flesh down, stay down, and I try and listen to see if God is even using that to deal with something in my life. But I always look at the life of someone giving me that wisdom. As I said, I really would have dearly loved to have gone on because the actual conclusion to this section is in verse 12. So I'd like you to go down to the end of verse 12 of chapter 7. It really is the conclusion, but we're not going to get there, obviously. That says, but the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of its possessors bit different than that poem that we started with wasn't it a bit different um, where it said uh, where ignorance is bliss tis folly to be wise Solomon's conclusion the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom will preserve your life what's the benefit preservation Now, I don't know about you, but one of the things that we can observe about wisdom is that the results aren't immediately observed. And so we have a tendency to take the easy way out, to try and deaden ourselves to the pain of the world, and we engage in a world of fantasy and escaping into distracting pleasures and frivolous parties. But in the end, we only end up losing our lives. But if we're willing to be wise and we're willing to choose what's better, Solomon says that will preserve your life. 
And he's tried to explain that to us. The Lord has promised that he'll preserve our life, not only just here, our lives on earth, but for eternity. Mark chapter 8 verse 35 says, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Now I'm here to tell you, and most of you will already know this, that life in the real world will never be perfect. Life here on earth will never be easy. Life here on earth will never be free from pain. It'll never be free from discomfort. But if we choose the things which are better, then it will be fulfilling and it will be meaningful. For who knows what is good for a man during his lifetime? As I said, God does. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting. It is better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than for one to listen to the songs of fools. And there's more to come, which we'll look at in weeks to come. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your word, which continues to bless us. But more importantly this morning, Lord, to rebuke us, to correct us, to put us back on that path of knowing that even the thought of bringing uh, the thought of death into our lives and the knowledge that it will happen helps us to live the life that you want us to live, helps us to gain eternity and make every day count for eternity. Looking forward to that day that we'll be with you forever. A lot of our family and our friends are there right now. You have called them home. And Father, help us to not focus in on death, but to remember it will happen and that we are to not to listen to the fools of this world who say there is no God, that wickedness is okay, that slander is okay, that storing away treasures on this earth in, in buildings is okay and that we listen to the wise, the wise that you place in our lives, the wise men and women who are walking with you that can lead us and direct us and help us in the better than statements. I pray, Lord, that you'll bring into our lives, each one of us as Christians, a, a, a wiser man and woman to be able to help us to be able to be rebuked in the greatest and loving way. Help us not to criticise, but to build up in love. And Father, as we look at Solomon's wisdom and look at your wisdom through Solomon, help us to place these things into our lives, not to now hear the wise words of, of Solomon and, and you and just forget them, but to place them in our lives as a rebuke. And that, Father, we may live as you would want us to live. And we ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.